This podcast is a HistoryNet article brought to life by an AI voice provided by InstaRead. You can find the original article and many more at HistoryNet.com. The Frogman Who Vanished. What Happened to the Royal Navy's Most Celebrated Diver, Lionel Buster Crab, by Brendan Sainsbury. Lionel Buster Crab, one of the Royal Navy's most celebrated divers, disappeared while spying on a Russian warship in 1956. Just before 6 o'clock on the morning of April 19, 1956, Lionel Crabbe, an expert British diver, quietly left the Sallyport Inn in Portsmouth, England, accompanied by his minder, a tall, slim American going by the name of Bernard Smith. The two men made their way to HMS Vernon, a red-brick dockside compound of the Royal Navy. There, in the crisp morning mist, they met up with Lieutenant George Franklin, a Royal Navy diving officer who, two nights earlier, had agreed to act as Crab's helper and dresser in a clandestine mission arranged by MI6, the British Secret Intelligence Service. Ostensibly, the plan was for Crab to dive beneath the Soviet gun cruiser Ordzonikidze, which was temporarily docked in Portsmouth Harbor, to photograph its keel, propellers, and rudder. The British, then embroiled in the uneasy espionage of the Cold War, were keen to understand the underwater workings of Soviet vessels and the anti-submarine warfare equipment they carried beneath their hulls. The Ordzonikidze had arrived in Portsmouth Harbor a day earlier amid much fanfare. On board were the two most important men in the Soviet Union, Nikolai Bulganin, the pragmatic, smartly-dressed premier and minister of defense, and Nikita Khrushchev, the energetic, unkempt first secretary of the Communist Party. They had come to the UK on a goodwill mission as guests of the British government. Eager to deflect attention from a crisis that was brewing ominously with Egypt in the Suez Canal region, Anthony Eden, Britain's prime minister, was on a Cold War charm offensive. The last thing he wanted was scandal. Both of the UK's security agencies, MI5 and MI6, were told that spying was at least temporarily out of the question. Someone, though, clearly hadn't gotten the message. With two policemen escorting them, Franklin and Crabbe made their way to the dockside, where a small launch had been procured to get them to within easy swimming distance of the Orzonikitsi. As Franklin adjusted Crabbe's Heinke Frogman suit, the diver settled his nerves with a cigarette on the gunwale before hitting the water just before seven o'clock and descending into the murky depths. Despite his exemplary wartime service, Crabbe, at 47, was not a fit man. A prodigious drinker and smoker, he had supposedly downed five double whiskeys the night before on a boozy pub crawl in the nearby town of Havant. Not exactly the ideal preparation for such a high-stakes mission. Crab surfaced less than 20 minutes later, complaining about the cold and lack of visibility, and asked for an extra pound of ballast. Franklin obliged, attaching a weight to Crab's equipment. After checking Crab's oxygen levels, Franklin watched him resubmerge and sat down again to wait, and wait, and wait. Around 9.15 a.m., Franklin realized that something was amiss. Nearly two hours had passed since Crab had disappeared with little more than 90 minutes of oxygen in his tank. After making a cursory search of the harbor, he aborted the mission and alerted Smith, who was waiting on the shoreline, that Crab was missing. There was no alarm or police search. Instead, Smith, who had booked into the Sally Port Inn with Crab two days earlier, coolly paid the bill and hastened back to London, taking the diver's personal effects with him. Crab was never seen again. Thus began a 65-year mystery surrounding the disappearance of Lionel Buster Crab a real-life spy story filled with intrigue and conjecture that has given birth to assorted conspiracy theories and inspired a host of books.
Six decades after the events, numerous questions remain unanswered. What was Crabbe doing on that fateful day? Who was he working for? What happened to him? And why has the British government still not declassified important evidence relating to the case? Maverick, loose cannon, and nonconformist are all words that have been used to describe Lionel Kenneth Philip Crabbe. Born in London in 1909, Crabbe had a modest and unremarkable upbringing. Diving wasn't a natural calling. Even at the height of his wartime heroics, Crabbe was neither a star athlete nor a strong swimmer. But he was brave, audacious, and adaptable in difficult situations. After training as a Navy cadet, he became a merchant seaman, transferring at the beginning of World War II to the Royal Navy, where he gravitated toward the highly specialized field of bomb disposal. Crabbe was based in Gibraltar in 1942, when Italian saboteurs were causing havoc by fixing limpet mines to the hulls of British ships. It was Crabbe's job to defuse the explosives. He took to the task with casual aplomb, learning to dive with equipment salvaged from two deceased Italian frogmen. In 1945, he transferred to northern Italy, where he was assigned to clear Venice Harbor of unexploded German ordnance, and then to the Middle East, where Zionist rebels were attacking British ships. It was difficult and dangerous work, but spurred by a vigorous sense of patriotism and duty, Crabbe quickly made a name for himself. By the mid-1950s, Commander Crabbe was a war hero with an Order of the British Empire and a George Medal. He had even acquired the sobriquet Buster after Buster Crabbe, the Hollywood actor and former Olympic swimmer. Something of an eccentric, he favored tweed suits, wore a monocle in the style of an English gent, and brandished a silver sword stick with a crab emblazoned on its handle. Rumors swirled that he had a rubber fetish and liked to sit down to dinner in his frogman suit. Despite his dandy demeanor, Crab battled depression, an illness he buried in drink, gambling, and womanizing. After retiring from the Royal Navy in 1947, Crab worked as a diver for hire, exploring sunken Spanish galleons off the Scottish coast and running a rescue mission to a stricken submarine in the Thames estuary in 1950. He was probably recruited by MI6 in the mid-1950s, and in 1955 the Admiralty hired him to dive beneath the Soviet cruiser Sverdlov when it was docked in Portsmouth to look at its distinctive turning mechanism. The mission went without major incident, but next time he wouldn't be so lucky. When the dust had settled in Portsmouth Harbor on that chilly April day in 1956, it became clear that Lieutenant Franklin may not have been the last person to see Crab alive. At around 8 o'clock the same morning, Three Russian seamen allegedly spotted a diver in the water alongside the Orjonikidze. Over an after-dinner coffee later that evening, Admiral Pavel G. Kotov, the Soviet ship's commander, mentioned the sighting to Admiral Sir Robert Lindsay Burnett, his counterpart at the Portsmouth Naval Base. He wasn't making an official complaint as yet, but puzzled by the presence of a mysterious frogman near his ship, Kotov wanted to know what was going on. Fearing repercussions while the Soviet delegation was still in Britain on its goodwill mission, MI6 went straight into damage control mode, hurriedly preparing an elaborate cover-up. On April 21, 1956, a police officer went to the reception desk of the Sally Port Inn and ripped three pages out of its guest registry, expunging any record that the diver and his handler, the mysterious Mr. Smith, had stayed there. Then, on April 27, the Admiralty put out a statement claiming that Crabbe had gone missing after taking part in trials of underwater equipment in Stokes Bay, several miles west of Portsmouth's docks. It was a thinly veiled lie. For the outside world, these details clearly weren't adding up. 
Crab's family was anxious for information about Crab, and journalists thought they smelled a rat. Prime Minister Anthony Eden, meanwhile, was seething. Unaware of MI6's involvement in the Crab affair until May 4, he was forced to field awkward questions in Parliament while parrying inquiries from an increasingly suspicious press. Disclosing the nature of Crab's disappearance was not in the public interest. He claimed, MI6's action had transpired without the authority or the knowledge of Her Majesty's ministers, and appropriate disciplinary steps would be taken. While Eden's public demeanor was measured, his private mood was apoplectic. The Secret Service had explicitly gone against his orders. Heads would roll, including that of MI6 Chief John Sinclair, who was promptly forced to retire. The press had a field day. The Russians weren't happy either. Pravda, the official Communist Party daily, called the episode a shameful operation of underwater espionage directed against those who come to the country on a friendly visit. The Soviet government filed an official protest, and Britain was forced to make a humiliating apology. Eden's Cold War bridge building had been disrupted by an earthquake. As time passed, relations healed. Eden resigned over the Suez debacle in January 1957 to be replaced by Harold Macmillan. Interest in the Crab affair seemed to be on the wane when, in June 1957, a fisherman named John Randall found a headless, handless corpse in a Heinke diving suit entangled in his fishing nets in Chichester Harbor, eight miles east of Portsmouth's dockyard. Rather than ending the debate, the incident served to intensify it. Lacking essential body parts, the corpse proved difficult to identify. Neither Crab's mother nor his wartime diving partner, Sidney Knowles, could categorically say it was Crab. Notwithstanding, the coroner ultimately declared that there was enough evidence to suggest the body was Crab's. Some believed him. Many didn't. The remains were laid to rest in Milton Cemetery in Portsmouth, although Crab's mother still refused to say they were her sons. While the discovery of a corpse ensured that the celebrated commander received a proper burial, it didn't snuff out the theories about his disappearance, which were piling up like photo fits on a police crime board. The simplest explanation was that Crab's death was an accident the result of an unfortunate equipment mishap or possibly a heart attack. The wheezing middle-aged diver was notoriously unfit at the time of the Orjanikidze mission, and his affinity for drink and high-tar Turkish cigarettes was well known. This line of reasoning, however, underestimated Crab's ability as a frogman and ignored the fact that Portsmouth's sheltered docks weren't particularly difficult diving territory for someone of his experience and skill. Additionally, if Crab had died of natural causes, why the headless corpse the lack of a proper missing person report, and the intense government cover-up. Another regularly cited theory suggests that Crab was assassinated by the Russians. This claim was widely propagated in the 1972 book Operation Portland, written by convicted spy Harry Houghton, who purported that Crab had been taken on board the Orjonikidze and killed after being interrogated. A similar, perhaps slightly more credible scenario was advanced in 1990 by Joseph Zwerkin, a former Soviet naval intelligence agent who maintained that a Russian sniper on the ship's deck had spotted the frogman in the water and shot him. In 2007, a 74-year-old retired Russian sailor named Edward Koltsov came out of the woodwork, declaring on a television documentary that he had cut Crab's throat after he saw the diver attaching a mine to the hull of the Orzonikidze. The much-belated claim was widely dismissed as far-fetched. The idea that Crab, with the support of MI6, was trying to blow up a Russian ship on a goodwill mission in British waters made no sense and would have been counterproductive in the extreme. Others have speculated that instead of killing Crab, the Russians took him, voluntarily or involuntarily, 
back to the Soviet Union. Cold War spying was at its height in the 1950s. Two British diplomats, Guy Burgess and Donald McLean, had defected to the Soviet Union several years earlier. It was probable that Crabbe had already met others in British spy circles, including Kim Philby and Anthony Blunt, both of whom were later unmasked as Soviet double agents. In his 1960 book, Frogman Extraordinary, J. Bernard Hutton alleged that sources in the USSR had told him that Crabbe was working as a diving officer in the Russian Navy, and that the Russians had dropped an anonymous handless, headless corpse into Chichester Harbor as a cover. The book even included a photograph of a man it claimed was Crabbe, alive. This defection story was corroborated by Patricia Rose, Crabbe's fiancée at the time of his disappearance. In a 1974 newspaper article, Rose declared that Crabbe had successfully gone to the Soviet Union and was working as a double agent, training Russian frogmen in the Black Sea. She even claimed that Crabbe had been in touch with her through intermediaries who had told her that he was homesick. Over time, rumors that Crabbe was still alive became as frequent as stories of Elvis sightings. There were reports that he was languishing in Moscow's Lefortovo prison, that he had been tortured and brainwashed, that he was serving in the Soviet Navy as Lieutenant Lev Lvovich Koroblov. But no solid evidence was ever presented to back up the claims. In 2006, the story took the spotlight off the Russians and aimed it at the British when Crabbe's old diving partner, Sidney Knowles, contacted author Tim Binding who had written a fictionalized account of the Crab affair the previous year. Knowles, who had known Crab since his Gibraltar days, claimed that the Orjonikitsi mission had been a setup and that a fellow frogman hired by MI5, the UK's domestic security agency, had eliminated the diver to prevent him from defecting to the USSR. According to Knowles, Crab had expressed bitterness about the way the Navy had treated him in retirement and had subsequently begun fraternizing with the likes of Anthony Blunt and other Soviet sympathizers. Defection, he implied, had become a serious consideration. Knowles's allegations, although shocking, were interesting in that they came from someone who was professionally close to Crabbe. Nevertheless, it's difficult to imagine how Crabbe, a celebrated war hero who had put his life on the line for his country numerous times, would suddenly flip and contemplate treason. In reality, most of Britain's Cold War spying had been recruited young when they were still in school before Joseph Stalin's grisly crimes had become fully apparent. For 65 years, the Crab Affair has filled newspapers, books, and public debate, but it has yet to deliver an adequate epilogue. Nevertheless, touched by a mixture of heroism and tragedy, it has spawned a lucrative myth. Indeed, the adventurous and sometimes louche life of Crab, who worked under Ian Fleming in naval intelligence during World War II, is often cited as one of the inspirations for the character of James Bond. His diving exploits were subsequently fictionalized in Fleming's 1961 novel, Thunderball. The trickle of documents released by British authorities over the years has thrown some light on a raft of government blunders, high-level misunderstandings, and messy cover-ups. But fundamental questions linger. What happened to Crabbe on April 19, 1956, and was it really his mutilated body that washed up near Chichester in 1957? The truth, however, could be a long time coming. In 1987, in a mysterious plot twist, the British government added 70 years to its standard 30-year declassification rule on files related to the Crab Affair. For the full story, the world will have to wait at least until 2056. MHQ. Brendan Sainsbury, a freelance travel writer, is originally from Hampshire in the United Kingdom and now lives near Vancouver, Canada. 
Thank you for listening to this HistoryNet article. For more in-depth, compelling historical content, please visit HistoryNet.com.